Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 28. Welcome as well from me. I'm, my name's Pete. I'm the pastor here. Really good to see you all. Missed you last week. I was um, preaching in Chelsea for co-mission Sunday, but I realized, oh, I love this, guys. It's sad not to be with them. I knew that already. But, you know. Nice to be back with you. Luke chapter 11, uh, 14 to 28, page 1043 in the church Bibles. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wisest is she who knows she does not know. Not long after I met my wife, Sarah, I uh, asked her, what's your favorite book? And she replied, I think my favorite book is a book called Sophie's World by Jostein Garda. And I thought, I haven't heard of that one. And uh, my heart sank when I, I, you know, she gave me this book. You should read that one. That's my favorite. And my heart sank because I realized it's all about philosophy. And, you know, it's quite deep. I thought, oh, crumbs. I was hoping for a nice, easy novel or a story or something. And here we go. But it turns out, though, because I felt I had to read this book, um, it is a story. It's about a story called a little girl called Sophie. And she encounters lots of philosophy. But it's written very cleverly. Some of you know it, I'm sure. And, you know, the author manages to bring in lots of philosophy through the lens of a little girl and her life and her interacting with these different people. And it, sure enough, it gets to a moment in Sophie's world where it says, wisest is she who knows she does not know. 
and the author is cleverly, interac cleverly interacting with Socrates, who said as a philosopher, I know nothing. So he, that was kind of one of his things. He said, I don't know anything. I'm so, who am I? I don't know much. I can't be, really be sure about anything. I know nothing. I realize that now. And Sophie's really like, why is this issue who knows she does not know? Of course, you do actually, it's quite useful in the abstract, isn't it? It's humble, I don't know anything. But you do actually have to lay hold of something in life. You have to be sure of something. You can't live in this philosophical abstract forever. I know that my mum is my mum. You know, I, I just, I've got to, got to be certain about that or I can't get on with relating to my mum. I know that a cat is a cat when I see a cat. You can't sort of live in this weird doubting, well, is this really a cat? Or I'm in the matrix. Well, you just got to get on with it, haven't you? I, I know that music makes me happy or that love feels like love. You, you know these things. So too as a Christian, you know, I've, I've read the Bible, I've heard about Jesus and I, I think Jesus is good. I, I, I know that at a sort of fairly basic level. So you get the idea. You, you can't just live forever thinking, well, what do I know? In religious terms, I want to talk to you about that feeling today, which is often called agnosticism. And you heard that word before, some of you? you know, atheism is a familiar term where, we, where people say, there is no God. I'm absolutely sure as I can be that there is no God. I'm atheist. There is no God. Agnosticism is a different view that says, look, I'm not sure. I don't know. For whatever reason, I'm, I, I, I refuse to grab hold of that. I just don't know. And today in our Bible reading, Jesus is pushing people to say, come on, you, you can do a bit better than that. You, you do actually have information. You've got evidence in front of you. And I'm, I'm calling today's sermon Agnosticism Part 1. And we're going to do two weeks on agnosticism. The, f the first week, this week, Jesus is dealing with the, the people who say, you're doing this by some evil spirit. And he says, no, I'm not. And the second week, next week, we'll look at the people who say, but I want more, want more evidence. I want a sign. And we'll, we'll look at that agnosticism part two. Okay? It can, I know it's very tempting to take an agnostic position and say, well, I, I, who am I? I don't know. But hopefully you'll just feel Jesus nudging you in the back and saying, come on. And the reason today that Jesus says agnosticism is un unsatisfactory is that it fails to take account for evil. Fails to take account particularly of the spirit world, which Jesus is deadly certain about. So we'll explore that a bit together for a few moments. Let me show you. Don't just take my word from it. The whole burden of today really is that Jesus is overpowering Satan and this evil spirit world. And I want to encourage you not just to be like a, a spectator clapping Jesus. Say, oh, bravo, Jesus, you're good. But actually to um, stake your claim on him. If you have a Bible, have a look down. You see, there's, in, in general, this column of text we have, there's a miracle right at the very top, right, verse 14. It's kind of brief. You can blink and you miss it. Jesus actually drove out a demon from someone who couldn't speak and heals the guy. But then Luke wants to focus on the reactions to the miracle, and you get two reactions. So verse 15, if you see, some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So that's the one that Jesus goes on to deal with in this column today. These people were admitting that Jesus had done something amazing, but they were trying to explain it away. And then just, just note verse 16. There's another reaction here which we'll get to next week. Others tested him by asking for a, a what, somebody? A sign, right. So we'll, we'll deal with that next week if you just put it under your hat and come back next week. They were curious, but they wanted more evidence. And then we'll get to that verse 29. So agnosticism, uh, part one. I'm going to try and show you in this text that you've got the logic and then you've got the story. 
that Jesus kind of responds in those two ways. A bit of logic and a bit of story. So we'll do it each in turn. Firstly, the logic. Satan can't defeat Satan. Verses 17 to 20. Satan can't defeat Satan. I wonder if you would believe in evil spirits if it were down to you alone. I sort of scratched my head over that one this week and I thought, if it were me, you know, <clears throat> if I weren't a Christian and I just had the education, the upbringing that I'd had in this country, would I believe in evil spirits? I don't think I would, actually. Uh, I think probably I've, been, I've had a sort of quite a scientific, Western, enlightened education in various forms. And I think I've been a bit conditioned by that to think, actually, you know, the stuff that's real is the stuff I can see. You know, if I can touch it, if I can put it under a microscope, if I can evidence it by the, the naked eye, then I'm sure about that, rational. But the rest of the stuff I'm a bit suspicious of because it's sort of mythical. Many cultures in the world, they wouldn't go for that. They'd say, what are you talking about? But there's all sorts of things that are real that we can't see. Meeting people from around the world and seeing how, they, how seriously they take the spirit world, I think that's been really good for me. I don't know if it's been good for you, but you meet people from other cultures and they, they're really serious about spirits and evil and the fact that we're spiritual beings. And meeting Jesus has been really good for me because I see how seriously he takes it. Let me show you. Verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. You see the point Jesus is making? Come on, guys. I, I see what you're saying, but this doesn't make any sense. See, the, you know, the, the people in the crowd, they're saying, maybe Jesus is doing this by Beelzebul, which was a, a name for the prince of demons or Satan. They're all used interchangeably. So maybe like, Jesus is working for Satan, but he's driving out demons. And, and Jesus goes, what? Uh, you know, why would that make sense? If, if Satan is kind of doing one over on his own demons and driving them out, um, he's not going to bash holes in his own kingdom, is he? Doesn't make sense. That's the logic of it all. Notice his assumption within it. You know, he's, he's absolutely just assuming that Satan is real. You see that? If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? We've got to, we've got to hear that and, and take it on board. Then he goes on, verse 19. If I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Exorcism was a thing in Judaism, so there were, there were you know, Jewish people who could exorcise demons and get rid of them. So Jesus is saying, how does that even work? If you, if you know that there are exorcisms that I don't do, what's going on there? So he adds another point there. And then he states his own case in verse 20. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Not an amazing phrase, the finger of God. That's straight out of Exodus 8, as far as we can tell. So in Exodus 8, if you know your Bible, um, if you join Bible in a year, then you'll get there, get there shortly. Um, in Exodus 8, the magicians of Pharaoh have been up to some tricks. And you remember the ten plagues? And so you get, uh, what is it? You get the blood first, and then you get the frogs. And the magicians manage to replicate the blood and the frogs. And they say, ha, ha, we can do this too. And then God sends flies, and he sends gnats, and they go, oh, no, 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 this is the finger of God. We can't do that. And uh, I've got no way of replicating that. So it seems like Jesus is picking up on that here and he's saying, this too is the, the finger of God. So you get the logic there? Satan can't defeat Satan. Come on, guys, what are you actually saying? This doesn't stack up. There's the logic. 
Let's um, move on to the story. And this, to be honest, this is the bit that has um, blown my mind and filled my heart. So I hope you enjoy this story that Jesus tells. I'll sum it up this way. Jesus is defeating Satan. Verses 21 and 22. Jesus is defeating Satan. He paints this picture, right? Verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. So he wants you to imagine a strong man. Imagine this big tough guy with one of those uh, t-shirts that shows off all his muscles and he's got knives and he's got a gun and he lives in a house with some big dogs with scary teeth and he's got security cameras and bars on the windows and he prides himself on the fact that if anyone breaks into his house he's going to take them down. So picture a strong man who's guarding his house and his possessions. He doesn't want anyone to get his possessions. Jesus is saying this is a picture of Satan happy with that? Because he's talking about Satan. He immediately goes into a story. So this is the strong man that Jesus is intending us to think about. And notice the last phrase here, his possessions are safe. So Jesus is getting us to think about people who are demon-possessed as being possessed by Satan. We say in English, you know, someone is demon-possessed. That's a good phrase. I'm pretty sure it comes from here in its root meaning. So if someone... um, has a demon or they're troubled by an evil spirit then, that, then Satan rightly th- thinks of them as his possession I've got them, they're mine and he doesn't want anyone to take them from him <clears throat> over Christmas I uh, got to watch a couple of films which was a nice treat and one of the ones I, I managed to catch was No Time to Die the latest James Bond film anybody seen that? some of you, okay I happen to be a big James Bond fan my, my wife can't stand it but I, I quite like it, I get into it and uh, there's lots of things to enjoy about that film. If you're a Bond fan, you know, he has the line, Bond, James Bond. And he has the bit when he's sort of, you know, he's walking along the corridor and then poof, he, he's just, that's very enjoyable if you're a James Bond fan. And there's Daniel Craig's last one, so I like, you know, I was sort of nostalgic about Daniel Craig's Bond. And there is a, there is a superb villain's lair. You know, it, it is like playing into all the stereotypes. So the guy, he's called Safin, he's this big baddie, he's got scars on his face as you would expect, he's mean to to children but a bit creepy with them, horrible and he's got this lair which is an island in the Pacific with a volcano and like secret nuclear weapons that you know they sort of shoot out of the fountain when he wants them to and he's got this strong control room where he he is fully expecting Bond to come and take him on and he's very confident that he's going to win I actually read that one of the producers said, yeah, yeah, we tried to make the biggest Bond villain who's ever been. You know, we, it's like we took all the stereotypes and we said, yep, we're absolutely playing on all of them. So we're going to give you a volcano island with nuclear missiles in the Pacific. The character's name in the film is called Safin. In fact, his first name is Lucifer Safin. I mean, it even sounds like Lucifer Satan, doesn't it? It's like they absolutely knew what they were doing. And in the film, as you would expect... Bond comes in and he manages to land on the island. And he, he manages to get into the tunnels beneath it and he manages to defeat the baddie. I've got all sorts of problems with James Bond as a character, despite being a fan. You know, I'm, I'm, but Jesus is so much better than Bond. Jesus is, like, is the guy who goes into the, into the stronghold of the enemy and overpowers the strong man. I'm not just making this up because it's a neat illustration. Look, Jesus gets to his best best moment here in verse 22 but when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder 
He's absolutely talking about himself. You, you clear? Because he, start, he started off driving out a demon, and he gets to telling this story. He says, look, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking Satan's possessions. I'm liberating people, and I'm making them free again. Satan hates this, and I'm going to carry on doing it. Isn't it fabulous? He's way better than any James Bond character. I mean, apart from anything else, James Bond is a womanizer. James Bond is violent. James Bond only works for one government, whereas Jesus works for the peace of the whole world. And there's this amazing bit at the end of No Time to Die, which I won't spoil for you, but that, that too will make you think, wow, Jesus is way even better than this guy. And notice, it's also in the present tense. Isn't this wonderful? So verse 20, Jesus deliberately says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says, I'm doing it now. Not even waiting for the cross when Satan, you know, he's going to get the punch of his life in the, right in where it hurts. But he says, I'm doing it now. I'm, I'm driving out demons now. The kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is, you see in this story, he is defeating Satan. And perhaps you, th- you sit there thinking, this all sounds a bit extreme. You know, I'm happy to come to church and sing the songs and say the prayers, but I, I don't really go in for all this evil spirit stuff, this Satan things. Perhaps you think I'm a bit young and naive and maybe I'll mellow when I get older. For me, I think I'll just stick with Jesus. And do you think he's a liar? These are, these are his words, and he's very clear about the nature of evil and the existence of demons. He talks about them in such a way that I think this is happening in London right now, today, under our noses, in our city. I, I, I think Satan is like a strong man who's fully armed, and he doesn't want you to take him seriously. I'm sure there are places in London today, some of them very close to here, where he thinks, I've got this, this is my possessions. Nobody else can get in here and take this from me. I'm sure there are people who he thinks, these people are mine forever. I'm sure that Jesus isn't agnostic about those places and those people. He, he talks about them with a fierce grace. You know, he's like a liberator. I will make landing in your house, Satan, and I will help those people. I'm coming to get them. And he punctuates his story with verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not with me scatters. So can I encourage you, there's no middle ground left at the end of that sentence. It's not like he says, no, there's some people who are with me, and there's some people who are against me, and there's a bunch of people who are allowed to be in the middle and just take it easy. He's like, no, you're with me or you're against me. You're gathering with me or you're actually scattering. There's no neutral zone. He hasn't left you with a fence to sit on. Either the kingdom of God has come upon you, or it hasn't. It's a bit like citizenship. You know, you, you are a citizen of one country. You were born somewhere. So in this, in this spiritual sense, you, you, you belong to Jesus' kingdom, or you belong to someone else's kingdom. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Right. There's your logic, and there's the story of today's gospel reading. Before we finish, can I just explore what it means for us today? There are two invitations in this gospel text. Firstly, God invites you, gather with me. And secondly, God invites you, hear and obey me. First invitation, gather with him. Don't just be amazed at Jesus. You know, there's plenty of people in the crowd. Whoa, that was a great trick. Wow, what, a, what an exorcism. <laughs> Thanks very much. Round of applause. Don't just do that. Do, do that. That is amazing. But 
gather with him. Because he says in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. I was listening to a podcast over Christmas, which I know um, Brian listened to as well because he talked about it in a sermon two weeks ago. But uh, allow me this. The podcast, The Rest is History, which has two secular historians eloquently discussing many different moments in history. It was fascinating to hear them be amazed by Jesus, actually. That really took me by surprise, these non-Christian people you know, discussing history and saying, Jesus, Christ, in, in history, he's quite, he cuts quite a figure. He's got some amazing teaching. And to, for them to get to the end of their second episode and say, is the simplest explanation that he was the son of God? Disappointingly, they did cast doubt on the Christmas story just over Christmas time as well, uh, which I think needs a proper rebuttal, so I might try and um, do that myself, if no one else does. But these historians, they were unwilling to go so far as to say, okay, the clues have led us to a conclusion. We think he's the one we need to worship. You see that? So you can be amazed at Jesus. You can say, wow, what a guy, what a sermon. A sermon on the mount, you know, do to others as they would do to you. Wow, that's fantastic. That's, that's brilliant. Wow. And all that stuff about, you know, serving others instead of lauding. That's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But that's supposed to lead you to a conclusion. I mean, the whole, the whole word, conclusion, suggests you put the clues together and bring them together to do something with them. And I had the sense as I listened to these eloquent historians, they're a bit like the people in this story, you know, amazed at Jesus, but trying to explain him away. And yet Jesus says, once you know about me, come and, come and gather with me. Come, come join me. Come do some ministry with me. Just focus on that word gathering. I mean, maybe, maybe take that word home with you. I think that is an amazing word that Jesus has given us today that we, you can really enjoy in it, as a simple ministry word. Gathering is actually the first thing we do when we come together as a church. So you ever notice that when we get together and you know, Ben got us together today and he said, come on everybody, let, let's say these words together. On your feet, let's sing. That's gathering. In, in, in Anglican terms, that really is the word for it. You know, we always put on, our, um, on orders of service, gathering. And I think of gathering in a wider sense as everything we do to gather God's sheep together. You know, you might go out into the world this week and you might prick up your ears when someone says they're interested in God or they're spiritual, or they have a faith, or they want to find out more. And you, and you might think, ooh, I can do a bit of gathering. You know, come, do you want to find out a little bit more? Of course, one of the simplest ways to gather people is just to say, do you want to come to church with me? That's a very normal way. Or you could say this week, my, my church is doing this thing on Tuesday called Hope Explored. It's this thing on Zoom where you get together and you discuss and you read a bit and you come along if you want. Do you want to log on to, onto that with me? That's a bit of gathering. Or maybe you might say, that, that question that I heard you ask the other day, that, that is really interesting. And I, I, I read in the Bible once when someone asked Jesus that question. Maybe we have a cup of tea sometime. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that together. Do you see what you're doing? You're just gathering their thoughts, gathering their interests, gathering their attention towards Jesus Christ. There's nothing agnostic about that sort of behavior. No, it doesn't just sort of shrug like a sports person who can't really be bothered. I was reading about a footballer in the Premier League. He said apparently he just couldn't really be bothered to be there yesterday. And all the commentators were saying, what's up with him? You know, there's nothing agnostic about a Christian who's gathering with Jesus. They're fully engaged. They're on the pitch for Jesus Christ. Agnosticism actually scatters because it suggests nothing to see here. You know, can't, can't be sure about anything, so don't, don't bother. That just scatters people so that Satan can take advantage of them. But Jesus says, come and gather with me. Second invitation, and then we'll, then we'll finish. Hear and obey. 
So don't just rest in the past. Hear and obey. Jesus tells this extra story in verse 24 about an impure spirit that was driven out of a person and the spirit went through arid places looking for rest. It didn't find any and ended up going back to the same poor old soul with seven of its mates. And so the, the, the person ends up worse than they were off before. You see, again, there is, there is no neutral ground. You may have had a demon driven out of you like this person had in Jesus' story. But if, if Jesus is in Lord of your life, it's a bit like you're, you know, you're like a bed and breakfast where it's got a big sign saying vacancy. You know, come and, come and take advantage of me, somebody strong. And that's why Jesus needs to be our Lord. And at the end of the story, a, a woman, I love this woman in verse 27. It's so random, but brilliant. Um, she bravely pipes up, verse 27, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Literally, blessed are the breasts that nursed you and blessed is the womb that carried you. And Jesus replies in verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. There's a little beatitude I'd never noticed before, tucked away here, a, you know, a, a beatitude, a blessed attitude. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed is the person who knows they're not like a, a spiritual Switzerland, you know, I can remain neutral in life and nothing bad's going to happen to me. Blessed is the person who's not just aloof, playing it cool, you know, acting like they're immune to anything that happens in the world. Blessed is the person who doesn't just rest on the past, but acknowledges they've left their old sins, maybe left their old demons, and hears and obeys in the, in the present. Blessed is the person who joins in with Bible in one year and says, I don't know if I could do this, but I'll give it a go. And they hear and obey the word of God. Blessed is the person who thinks, I can't read the whole Bible, goodness me, but I can read something, so I'll download that app or I'll, I'll open my Bible whenever I can and I'll hear and obey. Blessed is the person who does that simply over a lifetime and says, as for me and my house, we will obey the Lord. Blessed is the person who hears a sermon and they simply come to church expecting to hear God speak and act on it. Blessed is the person who doesn't judge the preacher for their foibles or their weird James Bond illustrations. But actually they, they say, I come, I come here for the word of God and that's what I'm interested in hearing and obeying. Blessed is the person who has been putting off something that God is calling them to, but they think 2023 is the year when with the Holy Spirit's help, that thing that seemed too hard, I'm going to do my best to obey God. Last week I was uh, preaching at St. Andrew's Church, like I mentioned, and uh, had the joy of preaching to them, Revelation 22, like you heard here, and we talked about the new creation, and finished my sermon and sat down next to a, a, a senior Christian who, who's been a Christian for much longer than me, and I know that he's been a missionary, and he's been to cultures where they take the spirit world very seriously, and um, I sat down next to him, we got talking, and I said, what are you looking forward to about the new creation? And he, he, he told me very honestly about the things that he was personally looking forward to and I had the distinct impression that here is a man who must have heard thousands of sermons you know for, for him he must have given thousands of sermons listened to thousands of sermons opened the bible thousands of times and yet for him this was as crucial as ever there is no neutral ground today is today evil is real and as for me I'm going to hear and obey the word of the Lord and I thought I'd like to be like you should we pray Let's just take a moment and 
if there is some gathering or some hearing and obeying that the, the Holy Spirit would have you do, then why don't you talk quietly to the Lord about that? Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate, we pray to you and we're amazed by you. I feel, I feel thankful to you, Jesus, that you are the stronger one. You're the one who comes into Satan's territory when he's armed to the teeth and you peacefully, graciously disarm uh, evil prince of demons and liberate people. Thank you that you are plundering him today in our city and carrying off his possessions, those precious people, including us. How we thank you for the finger of God at work in our generation. And Lord God, we pray, if you're calling us to gather today, then would you help us to gather? Would you send us out from here, eager to do your work? If you're calling us to hear and obey, then please would you give us ears to hear and help us, we pray. When voices are confusing and we feel like we don't know enough, would you show us all the wonderful things we do know about you? And we pray, Father, against this sort of spiritual agnosticism. I don't want to spend my life that way. I want to know what I know about Jesus and work for him. So we pray you do that amongst us. In your mercy. Amen.